This is a Media Lab podcast. Have you ever been in a situation, Dave, where you you return back to something and it just isn't as good as the first time you did it? That's such a loaded question. I'm talking about sex is what I'm talking about, Dave. I, I'm, not, I'm not allowed to comment on that. Of course not. Of course not, right? Never. It never happens. It's always as good as the first time. I would argue uh, what, it what, gets better, Kyle. It gets oh. better with time. If you really, if you really put your back into it, we're, what are we talking about? Uh, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure we're talking about toys. In his own garage, Kyle has built a machine cobbled together with parts found in his friend's church basement and a dumpster behind the local Dairy Queen. This monstrosity is now alive and evil. Kyle has convinced his friend Dave to help stop the apocalypse by reviewing films the machine picks. The ultimate purpose is still unknown, and Kyle could have probably done this himself, but he's not being dragged to hell alone. This, this is, is Kyle, Kyle and Dave, Dave versus, versus the, machine. the Machine. Welcome to Kyle and Dave versus the Machine. My name is Kyle. I'm, uh, I'm Dave. And I'm the Machine. A podcast where a sentient machine forces us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse. Although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. For some reason, the machine is making us go through most of the films of 1999. Uh, But today, we get to talk about Toy Story 2. Hmm. He's stealing Woody. Somebody do something! Woody! was kidnapped. Woody once risked his life to save me. I couldn't call myself his friend if I weren't willing to do the same. I'm packing you your angry eyes, just in case. Let's move, move, move! Geronimo! (laughs) To infinity and beyond. Don't talk to any toy you don't know! We'll have to cross. You're not turning me into a mashed potato. I may not be a smart dog, but I know what roadkill is. Drop! All right, so Dave, uh, I think we need to start here, which is, what is your relationship with the Toy Story franchise? And then maybe we can come back to talking about Toy Story 2 specifically. I mean, I I think the broader idea is uh, I am and probably still am a big Pixar fanboy, regardless of, you know, how people rank the movies. And so, uh, I can't place Toy Story and Toy Story 2 specifically in my life, um, but I have a recollection that I like essentially everything, with the exception of Cars. I think Cars is a travesty. It, uh, the whole franchise should just be stricken. Uh, right. But, you know, we got free movie tickets. I even saw Toy Story 4. I thought it was great. Uh, I was really not yeah. expecting for that narrative to hold up after 20. For a movie that I thought had no reason to exist, right. it was much better than that. Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. Like as an escapist movie moment. And we saw it at Landmark Theaters here in Calgary. And Christ, that's a VIP Ooh. experience, man. It's like you get a lazy boy and that's a... We've never been to a Landmark Cinema Theater. Yeah. For, for people who are not in Calgary or maybe not even in Canada... It is a very bougie theater, oh, <laughs> the landmark it's, theater. It's bougie, right? I don't, I can't. So, a, a big fan of, of it. Yeah. yeah, of Pixar in general. And the only thing I th- I think is that this is maybe the one where the girl cowboy shows up. But I, that's the other thing that I get mixed up with so many yeah. Toy Stories. I, I don't know 
what happens in each yeah. one. Yeah. I did recently watch uh, Toy Story 1 with uh, Disney Plus. Well, okay. Yeah. I'll start with that because I do have a Disney Plus account as well. So the first Toy Story was one that I did not see in theaters. In fact, the second one I didn't see in theaters either because as you well know, my theater was burned what? down at the time. Your theater in your town burnt down? Yeah. And my small little town Holy burnt shit. to the ground. I don't know how you lived. So God. definitely was this was a VHS, I think, purchased by my parents because they bought most of the Pixar and Disney films around that time. So expensive. Love the first one. The first one is great. I actually rewatched it because the machine told us we we're going to be watching the sequel here this week. I contend that the first Toy Story is a perfect film. I think everything that sets up gets paid off. I think all the characters are great. I, I, I love that movie. I think that movie is great. Toy Story 3 was the one that I saw in theaters, the first Toy Story movie I saw in theaters. And I remembered the visceral reaction I had because I was convinced, spoiler alert, that the toys were going to be killed off in that inferno <laughs> uh, almost at the end of the movie. And I was livid. I was so angry. I was like, you are going to do this. Because Pixar at that time had kind of switched from, I think, producing family-friendly movies to feeling very much like they were producing adult films yeah. that were pretending to be kids' films. I don't even think they pretend so it's anymore. Like, it's, they're all psychological yeah. dramas now. I still like I was them. I was convinced that they were going to kill <laughs> off the toys, and that's how they were going to end it. And I was like, you son of a bitch. But I've loved them. I love the Toy Story movies, even though I don't think the fourth is as good as the original trilogy. I think all of them are great, and I have fun watching them. Eminently rewatchable. So I have a high opinion of, of the Toy Story movies in general, for sure. I'm air nodding for anyone who's wondering where I'm at. I'm just I'm, right. I'm nodding with air. Well, let's see this. Let's go and thank some sponsors. And then when we return, we'll be talking about Toy Story 2. Hey there, everyone. Just Kyle here again. I really hope that your summer is going by very well. I know that in some places there are even drive-in locations that you can go in and try and at least replicate that theater experience, even though... It might be a while before I feel comfortable going in and being surrounded by a bunch of coughing bums. Anyways, I'm here to talk to you about some of our sponsors that makes this show possible. First and foremost, uh, Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. The Alberta Podcast Network is locally grown, community supported. This episode of Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is brought to you by Storylines, a podcast for women in film and television, Alberta. Storylines highlights some of our province's most successful women in film and television, both behind the camera and in front of it. Host Sheena Rossiter is herself a filmmaker, and she has had some deep and instructive conversations with trailblazers and experts in the field. A recent episode that you might find interesting is their bonus episode that they had with Richie Johnson. Their description is, This week we hear from a makeup artist with a 65-year career. It's a profession she had never planned on. You can find storylines on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find it at wifta.ca. That's W-I-F-T-A dot C-A. This week, Kyle and Dave is also brought to you by ATB, specifically Goodness Grows. So I want to talk to you about this new initiative from our friends at ATB called ATB Goodness Grows. Hashtag Goodness Grows is an initiative that motivates Albertans to bring joyful moments to others. We're all adjusting to being disconnected from the places, people, and experiences that we love. So making someone laugh or bringing a smile to their day has never been more needed or more powerful. From live streams connecting business owners to new and fun ways to celebrate things like Father's Day, ATB hopes to inspire Albertans to keep the goodness growing. To find out more or to get involved, you can visit atb.com slash COVID-19 slash community. There'll be a link down in the description below. 
All right, Dave. That was an experience. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, it was okay. <laughs> you, you look like you're positively whelmed. Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm whelmed. I'm whelmed. That's a great way to put it. Uh, let me push this button. We'll see what the machine wants us to say. So, Toy Story 2 was released November 24th, 1999. The other major film release on that day was End of Days, written by Andrew W. Marlowe, directed by Peter Hyams, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Gabriel Byrne, and Kevin Pollack. That's a great movie. Arnold wrestles uh, the devil. If you say so. Come on, man. <laughs> we should have been one. You had a well, you had a problem with South Park literally battling the devil, but the Schwarzenegger movie that does the same thing is high art. Yeah. Get out of my face. No, no. Well, watch we should watch that movie, even off the podcast, we're not, Kyle. We're not gonna yeah, watch that. We're gonna movie. sit on a fucking couch <laughs> and we're gonna watch Arnold hand wrestle the devil. And uh, and you're gonna uh-huh. You're going to change your mind. I, I think I already have a tumor. <laughs> um, okay, so Toy Story 2 is currently rated 7.9 on IMDb, 88 on Metacritic. On Rotten Tomatoes, as per 168 critics, it is rated 100%. And based on 1 million users, it is rated 86%. It is available on DVD or Blu-ray. You can buy or rent it on iTunes as well as Google Play Movies. And if you're in Canada... I think pretty much anywhere in the world that has Disney Plus, you can stream it on Disney Plus. When did Pixar stop making movies that critics ranked at 99 or 100? I mean, they had critics have been sucking at that teat for so long. That's actually a good question. I, it's probably Cars, I think, but with the exception of Cars, yeah. it's a terrible movie. Uh, like Inside Out's like 99. But, and there's, there's been ones. I think Coco actually got pretty high up on there, too. Yeah, and I like Coco's Coco a lot. great. I really enjoyed Coco, too. But yeah, it doesn't happen as much anymore as it, what it used to. Well, a, a lot of other companies caught Anyways. up animation-wise. All right, let's move on. Yeah. Sorry. Its its budget was $90 million. It opened to, and this has to be like they did like one theater something. Anyways, $300,000 is what they say its opening was, but... Domestically, it made $245 million. Internationally, it made $251. So its total was $497. If you look at inflation, that means it's $764 million. It was the third highest grossing movie of 1999. So it made a ton of cash. You know what's weird? I kind of expected it to be more. I mean, that's way too much you know, like in terms of conceivable dollars, but... Right. It means Pixar. I just, I have this assumption now that everything's- Well, when movies nowadays make like billion dollars in like (laughs) in a month, it's just a different thing. Um, Fun little side fact, and this is only because I read this article a few years ago. You should really look up the production of Toy Story 2. It has a really interesting production history where it was supposed to be like a direct-to-video. And then they said like, no, let's give it back to Pixar. It was going to be just a Disney animated film. It's like, like, let's give it back to Pixar so we can release it theatrically. And like three quarters, four fifths of the way through the production of the movie, somebody accidentally ran bad code and deleted the whole movie off of the servers. And the only reason they were able to recover it was someone who was on maternity leave had gotten a copy and brought it home with them. It's a really fascinating story if you want to go into the making of this movie. Just read uh, Creativity Inc. I, I just right. had this quick thought, Kyle. Uh, number one, that the, that publisher should pay us for that plug. And number two, that... Mm-hmm. Um, you know what would be interesting other than inflation? I just realized movies in 99 cost $4 and now cost $25 to see a film. Well, let's make that. I mean, that was something that I was going to even bring up uh, last week is like 
the kids go to see a movie and it's eight dollars to go and see a yeah. movie i'm like uh no like for me it is bare minimum 13 to go and see a movie it'd be interesting if there were a way to extrapolate attendance versus yeah. dollars that's actually a good thing how many people actually yeah. went inside this movie well, anyways, it's, uh, this plot description from IMDb is, When Woody is stolen by a toy collector, Buzz and his friends set out on a rescue mission to save Woody before he becomes a museum toy property with his roundup gang, Jesse, Prospector, and Bullseye. One second. I'm pretty sure that's good. That's so loud <laughs> outside my window. Someone is still mowing grass. Damn trash pandas. It stars Tom Hanks as Woody, Tim Allen as Buzz Lightyear, Kelsey Grammer as Prospector, and Joan Cusack as Jesse. So, Joan Cusack was born October 11th, 1962. Her first film was a teenager in the 1980 film My Bodyguard. She would then have a small part in 16 Candles before being cast on Saturday Night Live for one season. After that, she would have credits in things such as Broadcast News, Working Girl, Adam's Family Values, and Nine Months. The late 90s was pretty good for her as she'd be in in and out Gross Point Blank, Cradle of Rock, and Runaway Bride. After this movie, she'd go on to be in High Fidelity, star at her own TV show called What About Joan for one season, and then be cast in a great little film called School of Rock. Classic. She'd appear in every Toy Story sequel, as well as being in Pop Star, Never Stop, Never Stopping, as well as appearing in a couple of TV series, such as A Series of Unfortunate Events and Homecoming. Currently, there is no upcoming films. I've always liked her. I think... Uh eccentricity is is fun to watch in films and she is one of those people that uh has a singular character because she's so weird but it it, i don't know if you know she's written into the movies that she's in but she's everything i've seen her and she's fun to watch um but uh but she seems like she's insane so it's awesome well let's go into kelsey Grammer. he was born february 21st 1955 he got his start in tv appearing as a guest star in such things as ryan's hope Another World, 227, and Kate and Alley. However, the role that would propel him into the limelight was as Dr. Fraser Crane. He first appeared in that role in a third season episode of Cheers. That guest spot would become a recurring guest spot, and then he'd join the cast. And once that show went off the air, he would continue being Fraser in the spin-off sitcom, Frasier. As far as I know, he ties the record for portraying the same TV character consecutively for 20 years. If you really want to know... It was James Arness in Gunsmoke who also portrayed a character for 20 years. Um, but no one cares. You he do, would also voice the, You do. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> he would also voice the classic Simpsons character Sideshow Bob in the first season of that show. He is a fan favorite and has returned to voice that character 13 additional times. He's never successfully transferred to film. However, a few of his credits include Down Periscope, X-Men 3, Transformers Age of Extinction, and The Expendables 3. I think those are all the third movie of their series, which is interesting. I didn't actually realize that. Um, he lent his voice to many TV series over the years and has most recently been seen on the TV series You're Not a Monster. Up next is the film Money Plane, which is described as a professional thief with $40 million in debt and his family's life on the line must commit one final heist. Rob a futuristic airborne casino filled with the world's most dangerous criminals. I'm pretty sure he plays one of the criminals. It's just it's such an amazing premise. It's probably written by Trey Parker and it Matt feels Stone. Like, what about The Rock, but <laughs> in the air? <laughs> That's what it feels like. like. Flying Casino. Great. Listen, you have like an entire novel to read here, Dave. So I'm going to send this over to Holy you and uh, you can read what the, <laughs> the machine has you to, wants you to read. I'll have to read this really quick, except uh, we'll see how quickly I can 
read it? No, that doesn't. Did that work grammatically? Yeah, sure. Why not? Tim. It's not like we've recorded two of these episodes back to back and I'm going loopy. Yeah. Why would, why would we have exhaustion when these are separate days? You know, we've had a week break to watch this together at the same time in unison. One day, Kyle. One day again. <laughs> we'll, we'll get back to it. Yeah. Tim Allen. Born June 13th, 1953. His first credit is the 1988 film Tropical Snow. Not to be confused with Tropical Thunder? No. But as was fashionable in the 80s and 90s, he was a stand-up comedian who went on to have his own sitcom. That sitcom was Home Improvement. It was massively popular and lasted eight seasons. It, was, it also co-starred J, uh, sorry. It also co-starred Jonathan JTT. Taylor Thomas, all the, you know, aka JTT, who is responsible. Oh my God, do I have to read this? Who is responsible <laughs> for Kyle's sexual awakening? Uh, I think we do have to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. That's the machine editorializing once again for a while. Did you? By the way, I just want to know the difference between maybe East and West. Different family makeups. Did you ever watch a single episode of Home Improvement? Uh, n- not like a. On TV, I've seen okay. it, but I don't know if it's in I've reruns. I've seen every episode. That's why I say that. Like, we grew up watching this as a family. Oh, no, we didn't. We wouldn't watch this as a family. But I think, you know, maybe in the rerun cycle. And I, I think I was pretty, uh, like a fan, I suppose, of Tim Allen, because he was pretty big around this era. Um, so it might have looped yeah. back in a rerun thing, but I did, we didn't watch it. What was the the neighbor, Al? Yeah, I, I know a few of the nuances of that show, but. Uh, Al was his, actually, his, uh, his uh, oh, co-star, co-star partner. Yeah, the, uh, but Wilson, Wilson was his neighbor. Which you never yeah. see his face. Not that it matters. Right, yeah. Until the end when it turns out he's a serial killer. For a while, it seemed he would be one of the few television actors to be able to transfer to film as he had a few massive hits. The Santa Claus would spawn a few sequels. Jungle to Jungle, while not reviewed very well, was a modest hit. Toy Story and Galaxy Quest all came out within a few years of one another. Galaxy Quest, one of my favorite movies. I mean, I think it's, it's it has to be said, and I don't think people understand this context maybe any, anymore. But there was a time, a short period of time, granted, where Tim Allen was actually really popular. Oh, was what I'm saying. Like, he was huge. He was yeah, he was huge. Could be in movies. He would open movies. He was like in TV. Like I don't know. It, it, that doesn't happen anymore. But yeah, he well, who knows? Right, there and there's that schism between. I don't know the TV actor. I don't know face or personality and the movie right. persona. It's weird that they're different, uh, but they are different. That's a hard. That's a hard hurdle. That's a high hurt. That's a hard and high hurdle. Uh, a high. <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> are you having a stroke on me here, Dave? <laughs> Finish your novel. Jesus. You're only like a third of the way through. <laughs> oh man, it's weird because we just started taping. I I don't know why I'm losing my focus here. His career would then start to lag behind in such Disney films as Christmas with the Cranks. I think that's what ruined him. Christmas with the Cranks. That's an mm, awful movie. I, do, I agree. Yeah. The, sh- oh, the Shaggy Dog and Wild Hogs. Yeah, that, those are... I don't even know what the Shaggy Dog is. He provided the voice of Buzz Lightyear in TV, ser- in TV series, short films, and video games. But he returned back to television in 2011 for the sitcom Last Man Standing. It was popular and ran for nine years. Never heard of it. Currently, my parents love this show. Like they loved Last Man Standing, but I don't think anyone under the age of forty has probably seen that. Actually, show. well, f- fuck you. And number one, because I'm over forty. And number two, I think we had canceled cable actually by 2011. Yeah. So currently, he has no upcoming films. Tom Hanks. Oh, Tom Hanks, right? The Roy, I love the him. King. 
Born July 9th, 1956. Do you think, though, he has like a secret? He's got some secrets. You can't. I, I, you have your theory on Meryl Streep having skeletons <laughs> in the closet. I am convinced that when Tom Hanks passes away, oh, things man. are going to come out, unfortunately, and like ruin my know. impression of him. Be but. Books, man. He's just too automatic. Anyways. Nice. Uh, his first credit is the 1980 film, He Knows You're Alone. However, he would come to small fame for co-starring in the TV show Bosom Buddies, which ran for two seasons. But then he'd find success in the mid-80s by going on a streak of successful films. Splash, Bachelor Party, The Money Pit, Big, Joe vs. the Volcano, A League of Their Own, and Sleepless in Seattle. I, I've watched all of these movies and I've loved mm-hmm. all of those movies. I'm such an old man. Then in the early 90s, he's... Uh, oh sorry. God, segway is what that's supposed no to say. Then in the early 90s, he segued from comedies into dramas. He would become only the second actor ever after Spencer Tracy to win Academy Awards in two successive years. For Hanks, that was for Philadelphia and Forrest Gump. He'd then be in films such as Apollo 13, Saving Private Ryan, not to be confused with Saving Ryan's Privates, The Green Mile, and, and Castaway. Throughout that time, not only was he the voice of Woody in the Toy Story films, but he was generally known as a really great guy. Even to this day, he's considered one of the nicest people in Hollywood. But then again, who knows what skeletons he has locked away. I, we'll have to see if we keep that. Hey. Yeah, I mean, the robots. Well, the machine to, knows. The machine knows. I'm not at liberty to say anymore. Machines. AI. In recent years, he has made a habit of portraying real people in biopics. Some of those include Captain Phillips as Captain Phillips, Saving Mr. Banks as Walt Disney, Sully, Captain Sully Sullenberger, Sullenberger, Sullenberger? Burger. Burger. Sullenberger. Captain Sully Sullenberger, Captain Sully Sullenberger. It's not a tongue twister. It feels like one. Sully, Captain Sully Sullenberger, and A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood where he played Mr. Rogers. Up next is Greyhound. Its plot description is, Early in World War II, an inexperienced U.S. Navy captain must lead an allied convoy being stalked by Nazi U-boat wolf packs. Right? You want an explosion after that. Capel. That's what he said. Written, Mm -hmm. this movie is written by Andrew Stanton, Rita Shao. Is that right, Shao? Let's do it again. I think, yeah. Rita Shao. Doug Chamberlain, and Chris Webb. We're not going to go through each one of these people, but they all were working for Pixar at the time. Andrew Stanton would go on to write and direct Finding Nemo and Wally. Rita Shao would is current Rita Shao is currently working on an animated film called Lucky. Its plot description is a buddy comedy which takes you behind the scenes of Chinese superstition and the battle between good luck and bad luck. According to IMDB, this was Doug Chamberlain's last film credit. Chris Webb would go on to write the TV movie Solo Me, directed by John Lasseter, Ash Brennan, and Lee Unkrich. Unkrich? Unkrich. I think it's Unkrich, yeah. yeah. And Lee Unkrich. Lee Unkrich has worked... Lee Unkrich... Lee Unkrich has worked at Pixar from the beginning. <laughs> well, look, I'm just trying to... I'm giving you good cadence here so that... Lee Unkrich... <laughs> just, just keep doing yeah. this so it, it gives you so much more work in post-production Over. it's like oh yeah this is the cut oh fuck he stopped talking again uh, this is this is the blooper reel that should go into uh into the patreon account watch david fuck up his copy lee unkrich has worked at pixar from the beginning he would go on to co-direct finding nemo 
direct Toy Story 3 and Coco. Ash Brannon would leave Pixar to work on the Sony animated film Surf's Up. He's currently working on the TV series Riot Games Arcane. I'm not sure if that's a video game. I, I couldn't figure yeah. it out, but I, apparently it looks like it's an actual TV series. Yeah, I don't know. John Lasseter helped to start Pixar and was instrumental in the development of the first few short films, as well as the feature-length films. He directed, to- he directed Toy Story, A Bug's Life, Toy Story 2, and uh, Cars. When Disney bought Pixar, he was brought in to oversee all of Disney animation. For some, it was believed that he would eventually take over as CEO. Sorry, Helen just yelled. However, in 2018, he was caught up in the hashtag MeToo movement and was justifiably fired. Afterwards, he was hired in 2019 to oversee the new Skydance animation division of Skydance Entertainment. Their first animated film, Luck, is scheduled to be released March 19, 2021. Just in case people were, were remembering, we said Rita, Rita Shao. How do I say your last name? Shao. Rita Shao is working on an animated film called Lucky, but this one is called Luck. Two completely different movies. Good. Just wanted to be clear on that. Dave. That was a big preamble. Hit me. I was looking at the video screen and it seemed that you were uh, nodding off a little bit. So what is your impression of Toy Story 2? Yeah, it's, it was whelming. It's, uh, it's, it was good. I, I, uh, I enjoyed watching it. The main thing that just sticks out to me as a first impression is, you know, like all animated, uh, computer animated films, the animation really just doesn't sit well with me anymore not the toys but mostly the uh the human mm. animations and it's hard to kind of it's weird though because going from toy story one which is like yeah even worse coming as like oh it's amazing leap but still not as as great as when we would get into like recently like onward and stuff like that where it's like this is pretty amazing and that's i think it was because like toy story one they were very aware of it I mean, Toy Story, yeah. if you want to call it. And so, you know, the entire premise and the rewrites and, and the whole movie focuses on just the on the dolls and, and it works really well for mm-hmm. that. But this one, uh, half the movie is uh, Newman. And um, and at some point, you know, uh, it just, uh, yeah, it, it kind of just caught me a little bit. Not off guard. It just, it just caught me a little bit. From a writing and movie storytelling perspective, yeah, it's, it's, it's good. It's, uh, it's interesting. There are great hilari- There's great hilarity. Uh, I, I, I laughed. Um, I didn't cry. So that's, that's a point against it. You got to make me cry lately. That's mm. important in modern film. I'll tell you the point where I always cry in this movie. But um, <laughs> I'll save that for a moment. And uh, yeah, there's some great gags in it. I don't know why. Maybe it's because there's so many or maybe, you know, the sort of, buddy group movies played out i I felt a little it didn't feel fresh like it didn't feel you know like when we rewatched the matrix this year we watched some of these Mm. seminal films that have kind of created tropes uh they can still when they're really good still seem like there's something new there um this one felt somewhere in the middle I, i felt like i'd seen all of the mechanics before but it's still a great story and it's it's well told but I, I, yeah i was just whelmed i was well it's a great word we invented today it's, it was whelming yeah i i don't know if we invented it but i mean i think uh f- for me i think there's a reason behind that feeling which is this is essentially just like an inversion of what the first film is so it's like it is going through the same story beats pretty much yes a little bit of a different plot but the the essence of a toy being uh saved from a place that they're taken to is the the first movie over again why this one is not like a five out of five home run for me is that it does feel a little bit uh similar 
but also the first story story probably because of budget constraints and and that sort of thing there doesn't feel like there's a wasted second in that movie and in this one there's a couple of plot lines i'm like you could probably cut this out because it has nothing to do most notably and it's there because of like the the star wars parody but the whole like lord zerg and and uh buzz 2 i'd like i would remove this entirely from the movie because it really adds nothing to the to the grand total of its parts just a side note on that i was kind of upset's a strong word but i was kind of put off because um as you know kyle we let my son watch this with with us yeah and uh if if fucking ruins star wars and so now when my son actually can watch star wars he's gonna make a reference to this movie yeah, and I I have an, an anecdote for you that actually happened to another podcaster I listened oh, to. They man. mentioned this in a story where they were letting them watch the Toy Story movies because they're age appropriate to watch them now, and he had forgotten about that point. I'm like, oh, I just ruined Star Wars for my I kid. <laughs> it's frustrating. Yeah. I, I mean, it's not that they're not allowed at that point. I mean, it's uh, 99, so it's been you know, to, what's yeah. what's Empire? It's 79 or. <clears throat> but no M- empire is 80, 81 and 80, then yeah return of the jedi is uh, 83 so it's been 19 years so it's not like they're not allowed but i i did have that personal thing where i was like ah oh you broke your tv you broke your tv <laughs> in front of your child um that wouldn't have been the first time so i yeah that, that part is a little bit but i agree with you there's just something yeah it's not it's not yeah it's not tight it's not uh, you're not on the edge yeah, of your seat a little you're bit- not in the narrative entirely it takes you out from time to time where I mean, it's still fun. I mean, what I will say is, it's still. I still have all, like I love this movie a lot. So I, I once again, I think my rating is going to be much higher than yours. Is probably going to end up being some of the positives I have is that I do think that Kelsey Grammer is cast so exceedingly oh, well. Yeah. He's able to get that menace in his voice. He has menace, in but his at the voice. same time, well, he has menace in his voice anyways. Like the, the deep baritone that he has, but he's also able to seem sweet at the same time. He's able to play that back and forth really, really well. He just has a great voice for voice acting. I think all of like the old style toys and stuff that that um, what he sees, like I could actually envision those being made. I actually kind of want to own some of them just to to have them. The old knickknacks and stuff like that. And uh, the part that does make me cry every time, it's not that it's a musical, but they do have the Sarah McLaughlin song, Jesse's song, that happens like halfway through. And it always makes me cry. It literally always makes me cry. It's like <laughs> that song. All, yeah, all I can think about is her putting the music to the, uh, give money to the- uh, Dead dogs. Yeah. I will remember you. Yeah, man. <laughs> but I, I know, it always, it just gets me every single well, she's time. She's a big deal. Uh, I will say- against Sarah McLaughlin, yeah. but uh, yeah. Do you know the fan theory, though, by the way, of, um, I think it's Lucy is what they say is what her owner was. I can't actually remember now. I don't know if I actually believe this, but a lot of people have fan theories about Toy Story is that it's actually Andy's mom is who owned Jesse originally, Uh, Uh, mostly because of some uh, similarities between like their hands and stuff like that from like her younger years to her older years. Because you never see, you never see Andy's mom's face i don't think in the movies maybe in the third one i can't remember but um definitely these first two you don't but that's what they think they think that's what's <laughs> the the subtext that's going on here so who knows maybe it's true i don't care but it, it, right. it's an interesting thing and then the less like the last episode i told you about that theory where human beings can connect any dots and feel good mm-hmm. about themselves and uh, it's all just random noise but yeah i i uh i'm just thinking the one of the greatest sort of depths in the animation um is when they build that world for woody and they've got they've produced a television show within a movie that actually looks like it was built in the 50s 
Um, so right. like filling in that world. I mean, Pixar is one of the greatest strengths is uh, is world building, and they're so good at uh, at the depth in which they'll you know all of their films. They it, there's just so much density, let's say, in in the environment. And speaking quickly on Kelsey Grammer, it was funny. It was only when he went evil that I was like. The whole time I was like, I know this voice. And then when he right, finally right. turns into his real, I'm like, holy shit, it's, like, it's oh, Frazier. Yeah, like, yeah. And uh, yeah. it was great. I mean, he's awesome. Um, the character is great. No, yeah. I mean, it's it's a good movie. It's. Uh, I mean, it, this is going to be the start of something that essentially every other sequel would do inside of Toy Story, which is it's an evil toy. Like to the point where it's like you can kind of guess who the evil toy is going to be yeah. <laughs> in in the in these movies. Um, I do want to talk about the world building a little bit, not to like derail our conversation too much. But I find that, I, and I don't know why it is, because in other films, I feel this would like really annoy me. And it doesn't in Toy Story. I'm able to like uh, suspend my disbelief. I'm totally in, in the story. But if you even start to pick away a little bit, I don't know if the world of Toy Story makes any sense. No, of course not. And especially with each successive movie, they seem to kind of almost like subtly like retcon different things or different things can happen. Because even in the first one, they kind of make the idea like, hey, if they wanted to, they could make their faces move and the way that they talk, like people could see that. And then in 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 this one, it, it brings up the idea for me. It's like, wait a second. I thought like every toy would be able to like be alive. Like you see Etch-A-Sketch in the first one being something that's sentient. And in this one, none of those collectibles are sentient in any way. I'm like, well, why aren't they sentient? Like, why don't they come to life when... <laughs> when the person leaves the room so it's a, one of those things where it's like hmm i don't know if this actually makes sense if you really delve into it but i don't think you're meant to necessarily but if you really start to delve into the world of toy story i, I also will say that no matter how you you think about this this is the movie that really brings up because the prospector says come with me so that you can be in this museum and l beloved by people for the rest of your life or die and in a landfill somewhere, which is kind of what the third one explores a little bit. And it like really gets to me because it's like, boy, there is no way around it. The life of a toy is so dark and depressing when you bring that up in a kid's movie. I don't know if kids would necessarily get onto it, but as an adult, it's like, woof, like this is pretty hard to take when it's like, yeah, any toy that you've ever had had a tragic ending to their life because apparently they feel pain too. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I don't know. I mean... And this thing about overanalyzing these things, I think. I don't, I think you underanalyze things. I David. willingly underanalyze. I've spent my whole life overanalyzing things, and uh, all yeah. it does is make you see things that uh, upset you all the time. I mean, Kyle, I'm upset all the time. Uh, you don't get upset if you aren't analyzing. Things. You're the Hulk, then. Yes, uh, that's that's your that's your that's your power. You know, I guess what I mean by that is, uh, you know, within the scope of what the narrative of this world is, it's not important that they're toys it it plays as a gag right and uh, what they are, are kind of like existential existential stories about uh, the meaning of life and all of them you know uh, it's played out as the relationship and the role of a toy for andy or for i can't remember who the girl comes in next i don't it's not a sister anyways it doesn't matter um whoever the subsequent children are as as the movies right, age yeah, yeah. 
But even in that, you see that it's not that important who the kid actually is. They're just talking about how you fit into whatever role you're supposed to play. Even um, the original concept of the Buzz Lightyear, and it plays again in this being an individual versus being the mob, you know, uh, being mass yeah. produced and how you differentiate yourself. And for them, there's that, uh, you know, it's very 60s actual existentialism, you know, like you're defined by the actions rather than some overarching rational theory. So yeah, this is, this is my, <laughs> this is why I poked at you. It's like, you can't, I don't know. When I watch movies like this, I, I think that there will be kind of like quietly Santa Claus and Easter Bunny and stuff like that. There's yeah. going to be an element where the influence that movies like this will have on children will have some psychological impact. I mean, how creepy will it be for some kids to actually take this movie literally and presume that when they leave the room, all the toys, you know, it's like something out of a fucking horror movie and they're all running around and then they all collapse in another space. I think I'm willing to not care because I'm trying to follow uh, whatever they're trying to show me. Like in this case, uh, Woody's actually about to turn to the dark side, Mm -hmm. right? He's- He's ready. Right. He's ready to give it all up. Well, he's ready to go. well, that's that's the thing. So this is, I'm going to pull on this thread even more, even though you hate analyzing things. Do you have a sense of like what the, uh, I don't know, what the themes of these movies actually are? Because for me, I could look at it from two different angles. Whereas like, ultimately, every one of these Toy Story movies is essentially about death. Now, if, if the sequels had never come out, I don't think that would be true. But because I think you need to start to look at this as like a body of films altogether, even in this sequel, Woody is pretty willing to leave Andy behind and be like, you know what? Yes, I, I belong with these people. I'm here for the, the greater good. And that ultimately gets paid off in the fourth one where he, he leaves. He, he goes on his Spoiler own journey alert. to be his own lone Such toy. A jerk. Spoiler, Spoiler alert. alert for. Oh my God. Uh, but what I mean here is that that's what I kind of started to look at this as is like the, these, to- these toys, these, uh, I don't know, the avatars that we're looking at the, this film through. Uh, Woody has basically been our primary character and it's basically been him being like, Hey, I have a purpose and my purpose is to help this boy and help this kid out and like bring uh, love to his life. But then him realizing ultimately that those kids grow up and don't really need you anymore. So how do you define yourself when that person doesn't need you anymore? And then finally come to a resolution like, Hey, I can actually make up my own meaning in my life and go out on my own way. So whether you want to look at that as a, parent and a child relationship or a child and a parent relationship um i don't know how you want to look at that but either way it is that ultimate uh, decision like i'm with this person and there's this definition of our relationship for a bit but then i need to actually make my own meaning in my own life without that person involved anyways these are heady things for a kid's film and again i don't think kids are going to pick up on that necessarily but it's something that i find fascinating about these films well, i think i don't know i don't think any pixar film is intended to be a kid's film. I think they're dressed, all of them are dressed up as kid's films uh, in the sense that they rely on- Do you think that's a negative towards them or are you just, no, it, that's just I the way they are? I think initially it was a huge positive because it it plays to both, I mean, from a marketing perspective, whether that was the intent that it plays to two separate demographics, like uh, general demographics, that's a huge win from a commercial standpoint. But it used to be- um, much more ideously done. So like, for example, what you brought up with Toy Story, I think in a similar sense, but I think I'd reverse it. I think these movies are existential uh, in a philosophical Mm -hmm. sense because they're not preoccupied with death. I think they're preoccupied with living about the question of what it really means to live fully. Uh, You know, so the first movie, it's Buzz Lightyear. In the second movie, it's Woody with his own existential crisis. And ultimately, 
I, I would assume that the writers are questioning the idea of whether a person should be uh, defined by a role that they play at all. Uh, so you brought up the nuance of like, yeah, uh, a child and a toy, a parent, a sibling, whatever. I think this sort of stuff transcends that. I think the base is actually more about, even if you're watching this movie as like a the characterization, let's say, of a single person in a dead-end corporate job, whatever, this movie will still speak to you, not because you may may or may not have relationship or parental or whatever issues, but even within the smaller corporate context, you're going to be like, well, I'm labeled a, an accountant in this, por- you know, in this thing, but mm. what is my true role in life? I think that's what these movies speak to. And I think up till um, somewhere in the midpoint of the Pixar, they're really good at navigating that in a very idealistic way. I think what's happened recently is they're swinging way too far into the adult, critical, a very kind of depressing space where, like you said, I think they're becoming more preoccupied with death, maybe because the writers are aging or have whatever bit, yeah. uh, bitterness. I have no idea. But, um, you know, even from Inside Out, like I, I ugly cry. I was in a very depressed state when I watched that movie. But that movie's actually not that fun to watch. Like it's fun in a film sense but my son doesn't like that movie because it's fucking dark man like things are yeah things are yeah. dying collapsing that's, that's what i fear is like that like i i agree in many ways because i love inside that it was like my favorite movie that the, that year that came out and to me it was like what a great way to like use like uh this is a teaching tool because you can show like anger is not a bad emotion it's how you like funnel that but i think you're right i don't think kids necessarily like that's not going to be their first choice for my nephew who's six like he loves toy story loves all of them he watches them literally every single day he would watch all of them <laughs> uh back to back to back if he, if he if he was allowed to so these ones still transcend it seems the the culture and the um age range of the people and i think the newer ones not that they're bad but i think they're yeah you're going to come to them later in life and be like oh wow this is a great movie but then i'm an adult watching it it's funny that you think you're an adult i think that's where these other animation companies, uh, like, and we're getting way off topic, but I think that's where they're kind of gaining ground on Pixar and Disney now. Like when you, uh, you know, Despicable Me, et cetera, were, were pretty funny, like in a gag reel sense. But when I watched Despicable Me 3, I mean, they have two separate movies. One is slapstick, hilarious cartoon shit for, for the kids. And the other specifically targeted with references to all the adults, you know, with the 80s culture and just silly shit like that. Um, there's a lot more intent and nuance while it's still very light and uh kind of like disney owning mcu like when you look at your favorite uh, world when you look at the beginning mm-hmm. of the mcu dynasty it it stays in the same place it, they're technically fan pg-13 family movies but by the end christ like kids should not be watching I that agree, shit yeah. like I, I those are not kids yeah, movies. i yeah. might be prudish in that sense but holy crap like dark man people die all the time <laughs> it's 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 it's, yeah. I mean, I get at the same time, like, I guess I am pretty cavalier in that I don't think it's wrong to have death show up in a kid's sure. movie, but I guess it's how it's treated. Like, I still remember being a bit dramatized by Mufasa being trampled to death in The Lion King, crying in the theater. I'm like, I can't believe I'm seeing this. But I mean, Bambi did that like yeah. 40 years before that. So, I mean, like, this is oh, yeah. stuff that have, have been well trod in, in animation. First movie I cried in was Transformers because uh, Optimus dies. And I was just like, it broke oh, my spirit. Oh, because of how bad it is. Yeah. yeah well, uh, oh, you mean no, the cartoon no, no, no. Michael Bay can go, yeah. Uh, yeah, take a long walk off a shirt or whatever. But no, I'm talking about the uh, transform, the real, the only uh, accurate Transformers movie. Um, although Bumblebee was okay. And, uh, you know, when Optimus dies, I uh, I actually cried in the theater. 
And, you know, in, in every culture except North America, the idea of death is actually uh, not cavalier, but it's part of the familial structure. Um, but for whatever yeah. reason, in North America, it's the opposite. People fear death a lot more here. But uh, so I don't mean to sound that way. I just, I look at Toy Story and the way it's built. And I think it's a, it's a couple of younger writers in their era trying to proselytize. Is that right? Um, proselytize. Um, yeah. Try to, yeah, just speak out to tell people that, uh, you know, in that American dream, like you can be whatever you want to be. You just got to go in. But within these parameters. Yep. Um, so some notes that I took. Just going back on that point I was talking about, about how new rules are being brought out here. Some things that, again, kind of break the world if you are really looking at it too much. Apparently, toys also sleep uh, because the prospector is able to literally go in front of Jesse without her knowing that it was him that turned off the television. Uh, That must mean that toys actually fall asleep. And then some toys can control limbs that are separated from them and some can't. So Mr. Potato Head can lift up his eyes and see, but when Woody's arm gets ripped, he can't control his arm anymore. Anyways, weird. I don't know what that really means, anything, but it seems it like, not. oh, that's yeah, weird. It Why? does not, Kyle. I'm just going to put my foot down there. It, it, <laughs> it means nothing. <laughs> yeah. Just just leave Woody alone. I'm man. also curious when this movie actually takes place, mm. meaning like, is this a year after the last film, two years after the last film? I, I was finding it hard to really figure it out because the, the dog is still a puppy, which they got at the end of the first film. But then, what does he mention? But they're like, they're, they're faxing things and stuff like that in this movie. And like, I don't know, maybe in 1999, that was still a big practice. It just yes. felt weird. Fax, faxes and pages were still uh, par, for, right. par for the course, as they used to say. In the, you were you were old enough to remember the that. Um, so I guess ultimately, do you think this is our favorite question here? Do you think this is still culturally relevant to our world today? I don't know. People still watch it. Yeah, I, the only thing. So I, where I'm trapped is uh, number one. I I'm not sure the animation, and it's unfair because it's animation. But I'm not sure it holds up in a comparative sense. I mean, what you can do with animation now is. Is actually kind of getting frightening. Like even outside of deep fake and all this creepy you know, AI shit, it's like watching Toy Story uh, four. If we split screened it, it's going to make this yeah. thing look like it was drawn by children. Like there's, it's just oh. such a huge. It's so true. Like the the rain and like oh, the lighting effects that are in Toy Story four is like it's beautiful. Yeah. And it's like <laughs> you go back to Toy Story one and like oh they had like four colors they could use as their palette and that's what they were stuck right. with. Right, <laughs> and so it's unfair, but it, it is a bit yeah. jarring. Um, I mean, there are television shows now that with higher production value than what it seems yeah. like this thing had. But they're, you know, it's revolutionary time. You know, the other thing, I, I know it's part of the story that Newman had to be such a cartoon character bad guy, even though we had a cartoon character bad guy. But it's kind of hard to watch. I, I think that's a trope that was a very '90s thing, and I see that in we're starting to watch another K drama, and you know, some of these television ideas of having pure white and pure black like if you're a good guy yeah. you're like untouchably good and if you're evil you're like you're just the, the worst, worst of the worst, worst. Yeah. and so with the bad guy with zero redeeming qualities it feels a little two-dimensional just the way storytelling is done nowadays everything's about this uh, 3d animated film feels very <laughs> two-dimensional uh, so i'll uh, be the pull quote and then uh, yeah uh, the other thing is we live in a world now especially now more than ever where um the culture is about to break. Why are you looking at me? 
I mean, it's been broken, but it's breaking in public. And so, watching a movie about like this weird, even like the uh, trope of a cowboy TV show, and these, you know, it, mm. it's uh, it feels it feels dated. It, it does feel a little bit dated for me. We live in a cynical world. <laughs> All right, <laughs> they're setting cars on fire again, man. This this happens only every two years now. So, uh, fuck. We're done here. The machine has told us that we need to wrap up here. So, Dave, this comes to our, oh, I didn't even mention this last episode. Not that I remember recording last week's episode, but we have to rate this movie here today. You can find our entire list on our letterboxed page. You can see the link in our show description. It's letterboxed.com slash KDVSTM. KDVSTM, of course, is where you can also find us on Instagram or on Twitter. And if you haven't done so already, if you want to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast, that would be greatly appreciated by us. What are you going to rate Toy Story 2, Dave? I'm just, you know, I'm just weighing, uh, like you just brought up, between the cynicism uh, and being hype, like overly critical and sensitive to just, you know, the experience of watching this yeah. movie. I think I'm going to land on a 3.5. I think the cynical part of me wants to be a 3, but I'll, I'll pull up. I'll, I'll pull up. I wish I had... Uh made my guess beforehand because that's what i thought you were going to give it and i was proven right not proven anything you didn't make the guess so now you just I didn't say anything just come off like uh i like i said i really enjoyed this movie i think it's eminently rewatchable i just don't think it's as good as the first one so it loses a bit of a point for that i'm rating it 4.5 you're just in uh, a mood you're just in a mood you're like you're just skipping and fucking tralalaing along the animated highway Tra-la-la. of 1999 <laughs> So that means that it is uh, average out to four. So once again, we have to figure out where we want this to land. Uh, we have three movies that we have rated for. So there's 10 Things I Hate About You, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, and then Go. And that is in the order from top to the bottom. Where would you personally put this in? Uh, give it to me again. Uh, ten things. Lock. Ten stock. things I hate about you. Lock, stock, and two smoking barrels, and then go. Uh, part of me wants to say second, but I think it, I think it's better than all all those movies. I mean, I would put it above. Uh, mm-hmm. I would put it at the top of that list. I like ten things I hate about you, but I think I, I do too. I like. I that. think I would watch Toy Story two. Like I don't know. I don't know. What do you think, Kyle? Where are you going to well, be at? I'm- they're both they're both on Disney Plus, so you can watch both of them anytime <laughs> you want. I I flip and I, honestly, it would depend on the day yeah. whether I would put Ten Things I Hate About You or Toy Story Two above it. So I'm fine with putting it above it uh, for right now. So we can we can leave it there, which means that Toy Story Two will enter our list at number six on our list. How many movies have we watched so far? Oh, actually, thank you for bringing that up, Dave. We should celebrate that this is our 25th episode that we are that we are recording here today. Christmas Day. So we have watched 25 movies is what that wow. is what that means. That's great. Who knows when we will end this diabolical machine's mission to watch movies of 1999. But that is where we're at here right I now. I tried my best with the lemonade, but it didn't work. Didn't work. Uh, we don't do callbacks on this show. So let's go into trivia. This is one of three Disney movies to win a Golden Globe for Best Picture. The other two are Beauty and the Beast and The Lion King. So interesting little fun fact. Three times a animated film have won Best Picture at the Golden Globes. But funny enough, no one cares about the Golden Globes. So <clears throat> second trivia thing. 
While driving around Al's toy barn, the gang drives down the Buzz Lightyear aisle. Tour guide Barbie tells them, back in 1995, short-sighted retailers did not order enough dolls to meet demand. This is an in-joke and a fact. When the original Toy Story was released, toy sellers did not think the movie would be a hit, and they indeed did not order enough dolls to keep up with demand. The joke is also a self-deprecating dig at Mattel, which denied use of the Barbie character in the first film, thinking it would be a flop. So, jokes on them, I suppose. No callbacks. Dave, right? I, can't, gonna, uh, I can't reference your, can't do your, callbacks. your, enjoy, your enjoyment <laughs> of South Park for, for the same reason. Dave, uh, I'm going to send some of these trivia things over to you. Okay. Trivia. This was the first sequel for both Tom Hanks and Tim Allen. Tim Allen would get a taste, though. Interesting. He would get a taste. Yeah, he, he'd do this, the Santa Claus sequels, and yeah, he would, he would do it. Shit. When, Woody, when Woody first sees the Woody's Finest Hour tape, it stopped in the middle of a cliffhanger with Stinky Pete saying Woody's Roundup was canceled before airing the conclusion. This is the very same tape Woody plays for the others when they come to rescue him, except he failed to pause it. If you listen to the background after Buzz delivers his armor-piercing question and leaves, you can hear the conclusion to Woody's Finest Hour. He made it across the gorge and saved the others. I didn't even notice it. Before it goes into- No, I think that's a cool thing, though, that it is actually in the movie that Stinky Pete was, like, lying the entire time. Is, and that's the thing about the, the world-building. But when you read Creativity Inc. or whatever, the rewrites and their process fascinating to, to look at. It's uh, inspiring. Anyways, uh- we could use more of that on this podcast. <laughs> Probably, just a little bit. <laughs> Before it goes into, you've got a friend in me number. Or, in other words, by revealing that he lied, Stinky Pete's villainy was hinted at Was hinted at before it was shown. We forgot to talk a little bit more about the music, which I thought was... I didn't really enjoy the music in this movie, which is another... You mean the Sarah McLaughlin or like the actual The scoring? Sarah McLaughlin is fine, but like, I think I got... I think I've just Randy newman out. Oh, I see. Yeah. I, yeah. And Randy Newman is basically the person for like the first six or seven yeah. Pixar movies. Yeah. He did all of them. So, yes. all right, keep going. Uh, that is it. I think we can wrap this, uh, this up here at this point. Let us see what we're going to review next week. Oh, well, very much not an animated film. Uh, almost going back to that South Park style humor. Uh, we're going to be watching American Pie. Great. Oh, right. Sorry. Yeah, we were not that we've recorded that episode out of order at all, uh, and, and this f- deep fiction that we have created for ourselves, your your stupefaction that you just let me on or that you just stared at me uh, with is uh, duly noted. But yes, we have not actually watched American Pie yet. Uh, you know, it's I even forgot that we had taped that episode, and I was just thinking it sounds familiar. <laughs> I live. In the not, time not that we have. No, we haven't, not we haven't we actually have. done it yet. Did I mention a book about lying? No, I am. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, no. Yeah, I'm caught. I'm caught here. Uh, do you want to do this a second time? Yeah, sure. Unless, yeah, if, yeah, let's just, wait, let's just re-record this. The what, whole like, podcast? Fine, fine. Yeah, it was pretty it. bad, so we'll have to do the whole episode. <laughs>